Good morning. It's a great opportunity. I hope you think about that. Pray about that. Good to be here with you today. Really good. You know, today what we want to talk about is vision. Vision for your life. Vision for a church. The Bible says, without a vision, the people perish. It says in Proverbs 29, 18. Meaning they lose focus. And sometimes we don't even realize it's happened to us. Have you ever heard the phrase dog or cat, cat or dog theology before? It goes like this. Master comes home, the dog runs to the door, he's jumping all around. The master bends over, pets the little dog, goes over to the kitchen, makes him some, the, cat, the dog some food and some water and puts it on the floor. And the dog's eating the food and the dog's thinking to himself, man, this guy, he cares for me, wants to pet me, feeds me, gives me a place to stay. And he must be God. It's same house. The master comes home from work. There's a cat in this house. As he opens the door, the cat kind of saunters across the living room, didn't even pay attention. So he goes over to the kitchen. He makes the cat some food and some water and puts it on the floor. And finally, the cat comes over, starts eating the food. And the master bends down and starts petting the cat. And the cat thinks, man, he feeds me, cares for me, pets me. I must be God. It's easy to base a vision on the wrong things, is my point. Or, in church, people even come to church, but they have no vision at all. Not really a vision at all. They're just coming to church because hey, it's the right thing to do, or I always did it, or um, this, this maybe is going to help me. We're supposed to have more of a vision for church than that. More clarity, more understanding, more of a goal. You know, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. My wife and I were just on a vacation out west. We were going to all different national parks. Well, you had to follow the map. You had to follow the GPS. Like, if you don't know where you're going, though, and you have no target, well, any road will take you there. doesn't matter. So even when we come to church, in fact, maybe especially when you come to church, it's important to be clear. And so what I'm going to pray now before we even start is that God would give us clarity and understanding of the vision he has for church. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, we come before you this morning recognizing our own inadequacies and sometimes misunderstandings. We're kind of like that cat or kind of like that dog, just basing on circumstances rather than what the Scripture says, the vision for our life. And when we gather together, it's a bunch of us together, like it's our vision cumulatively or corporately. Where are we going? Where are we, what are we doing? And I pray you'll give us. Please, Lord, give us the understanding, the insight that we need. Thank you for bringing us here. And now we submit to you to ask you to guide us as we think together about what you're calling us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. When I think about vision, I think about the basics. Because a vision is your basic motivation in life, your vision for your life, the vision for our church, where we're going. It's the basics. It's the answers to the basic questions like, why? Why do we even have church? Why are we getting together? What? What are we trying to do? How? How are we going to do it? Those basic questions are absolutely essential. Now, I need to tell you something. For Lori and I, my wife and I, church is, and our vision for church is extremely personal. It goes way back to before we were even born. Let me give you an example of what I'm trying to say. Lori's grandpa, for example. 
Lori's grandpa was a bricklayer in Pittsburgh on her dad's side, that grandpa. Grandpa Bubna, Ukrainian name. So he's kind of an immigrant. He's a bricklayer. But then the Great Depression hits, and he's out of work. He's married. He's got a troubled marriage. It's not going so good. He's got three boys, and he has no money. He hears that there's work in St. Louis. So he goes to the bus station, takes some of his last dollars. He's going to take a bus to St. Louis and try and find out about this job he heard. So he's in the bus station, and there's a guy who starts talking to him. And it tells him that he knows of a job in St. Louis, and he knows of a church in St. Louis. Well, Lori's grandpa was not a church-going guy. In fact, he grew up in a kind of a tough family. What I mean by tough is both his sister and his brother went to prison. His brother ended up getting a death sentence. Ha, uh-huh. pretty rough marriage. I mean, rough background, right? So he goes to St. Louis. This guy helps him get a job and gets him started to come to this church, which happens to be a Christian Missionary Alliance church like this church. He not only became a Christian, but so did his wife, and his three boys were raised in that church because this man didn't just need a conversion. Just like you and me, you don't just need a conversion. God invented the church to help us change our values, our thoughts, our morals, our attitudes, get the discipline we need, the strength we need, the power of God in our life. All kinds of things started happening to Lori's grandpa. So much so, all three boys became pastors. Does that blow your mind? Because the church, they saw a church that was changing their mom and dad and changing their family and changing their understandings. It was miraculous. So, my wife talks about church. It's very personal. Me too. You see, my dad didn't come from a Christian background. And his mother died when he was two, which means he really didn't know his mom. Remember hearing about the tuberculosis epidemic in the 1920s that swept across America? Well, that killed my grandma. And my grandpa almost as well. And so Grandpa went around. He's trying to find jobs and trying to get work and doesn't know what to do, even trying to find another wife. And so my dad and his, his older brother get tossed around to California, to the Midwest, to Missouri, all over the place. Finally ends up at his dead mother's parents' house. In other words, his grandma and grandpa in Minnesota raised by dad. His older brother ran away from home when he was 16, went to the West Coast, became a longshoreman out in Washington State. And my dad had a friend down the street tell him about Jesus. But my dad, he knew nothing about family. He knew nothing about life, really. He, he didn't even have a mom. But he went to a church, and the church helped him understand the, the, the basics of life, the reasons, the answers to the whys and the whats and the hows. And God started putting his life together. And, and the reason my dad became such a great dad was not just because he's converted, but because he learned how in church. He watched other families. He didn't have a family. He, he became such a great husband because he watched other husbands. He didn't know how to be one. He never saw his dad do that. Wow, isn't this amazing what church can do? This is why I say when I share with you a vision of our church, it's really personal because I've seen how church, a good church, can change people dramatically in my own family and in my wife's family. That's just the tip of the iceberg what God can do through a church. When the church clearly is God's church doing the things God called to do to change a society, to change a family. 
That's why I can stand before you today and say very clearly, with no reservation at all, I am 100% convinced you need to go to church. In fact, you probably need it worse than you think you need it. Kind of like that cat thinking, it's all about you. No, it's all about God, and God's got a great plan for your life. I've been extremely blessed by church, and all I want to do in our church is share the blessing and tell you how you can have it too. That's really all I'm trying to do this morning. So let's look at these basic questions, like why and, and what and how. Let's take them one at a time. Why? Why church? Why does an elder board oversee the church, spend so much time doing that, praying for the church every Tuesday morning at 6.15? We have a prayer meeting. Why do I work so hard to put together sermons? Why do the Sunday school teachers work so hard right now teaching your kids and the, and the greeters and the ushers and the on and on, men's, women's, so many different ministries. What do we do? Why do we do all this? There's a good answer to that question, a really good answer to that question. That's point one here. In fact, as I was going through... Our, our church vision statement, we want people to hear God's call and follow it. I thought, you know, that doesn't even answer the why question. Why do we want people to hear God's call and follow? Why? Why is this all happening? And as I started thinking about it, I was reminded of what the scriptures say. In fact, let me illustrate it this way. This might help. Let's use an if-then kind of thinking to help us get to where we need to go here, to answer that big question, why? Let's suppose there is no God, which is what's taught in our public schools, which is what's taught in all the universities. I mean, a big bang is about as close as we get to any kind of God. There's just nothing. We came from nothing. It was just random selection. It was just, uh, you know, a mistake. <laughs> I don't know if you understand mutations and all that stuff, but that's basically what we're being taught by the scientific community, that we came from nothing. It just happened, kind of, and through a series of different things and random selection and, and, and survival of the fittest, we're just here. So you could clearly say we came from nothing, right? Well, what are we here for? Well, not, it's not like there was a plan. It's not like there's a process you're going through other than what we call evolution. You're just kind of here. Well, for what? Nothing. Well, where are we going? Nowhere. I mean, you get buried and the worms eat your body. That's it. You know, you're done. You came from nothing, you're here for nothing, and you're going nowhere, right? Isn't that what we're... So why would we be surprised if people in our culture think, well, do whatever you want. Doesn't matter, right? Why would it matter? No responsibility, no accountability, no, no plan. It's not like you're breaking the plan to do things differently. But imagine if, let's take the other scenario. Let's suppose there is a God. Huh. And he has a plan, like the scriptures reveal. God has a plan to create all of creation. And when you ask the question, well, why would he do that? Why would God want to even create the earth and create people on the earth and all of the, all of the hills and the mountains and the rivers and streams and the plants and the animals and the people? Why? Well, there's only one answer ever given in Scripture. I don't know if you've ever looked at it, but it's 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. says, God is love. It's all because God is love. God loves everybody. 
loves the plants, loves the animals. It's the only possible reason ever given in Scripture for why God created us. He loves because that's who he is. He doesn't create anything or do anything outside of his love. So you could say that what the Bible teaches, contrary to what our culture seems to be telling us, that we're here for nothing, here because of nothing, we would say, no, we're here because of love. Well, then what are we here for? If one says we came from nothing, we're here for nothing, what, what does the Bible say? says, well, you came from something. God had a plan. He loves you. And he's here to love you. Even though mankind, Genesis 3, decided to pick from the forbidden tree and go contrary to God, ever since then, there's a big word in the Bible. It's called redemption. God wants to redeem us back to what? His love. His perfect loving plan for humanity. He's redeeming us back. That's why Jesus went to the cross, died on the cross for our sins. The whole thing, you read to the end of the Bible, he's going to take us to heaven someday. It's John 3, 16. For God, it gives you the reason, for or because God so loved the world. Why? He made it in love. Because he so loved the world, he gave his only son to pay the price for our sins so that we could have eternal life. It's the whole basis of Scripture. That's why that verse is so famous, because it like sums it up. Came from love. I'm here for love. whole reason I'm in church is for love. whole reason God saved me is for love. And someday... He's going to take me back to what he originally made me to be in his love. And even, even the skeptical Pharisee, remember that passage in Matthew 22? We'll try and put it on the screen for you here. In Matthew 22, this Pharisee says, well, Jesus, sum it up for me. I don't get it all. You know, all the Old Testament laws and all that. Jesus said, listen, it's real simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Notice, the key word is Love. Because that's why you're here. That's what you're here for. That's where you're going. You know what? That's the answer to the whole question why. This is why you hear me repeating all the time. Love never fails. Remember 1 Corinthians 13, 8? When the Apostle Paul's writing out this whole thing about love, he's trying to say, you know, we came from love, we're here for love, and we're going to love. Love never fails. You focus in on what God, is, this loving God created you to do, which is to love. And that, that we talked about it being concrete before. It's a commitment. He says, you can't go wrong, because love never fails. Or one translation says, love never ends. Same idea. That's the key. Oh, so that's the answer to why we're here. Yep. You know, this becomes real personal for me. Um, as all of you know, I grew up in, in a good family, a Christian family. My father was a believer. My mother was a believer. An older brother, younger sister, all that. But in my teen years, I was really rebellious, trying anything to do but to follow God <laughs> and just have fun and chasing, chasing after anything I could get. But at 18 years old, it's almost like the call of God finally got through to me, and I bent the knee. I remember going in my bedroom. It was September of 1970. Got down on my knees, put my elbows under my bed, and just asked Jesus to be my Savior as much as I understood, as much as I knew. I was coming back to what I was made for, to be loved by this loving God, and he started changing me. And, and you'd say, oh, yeah, but I heard you got involved in the Jesus movement. It's all because of the, yeah. It was. I had this white jacket, and I put Jesus loves you on the back of it. And in other words, I was already starting to understand the basic theme of humanity, the basic theme of the Bible. We came from love. We're here to love. We're going to love. So I put Jesus loves you on the back. 
And I was in this movement called the Jesus Movement. But folks, I'm here to tell you, movements come and movements go. I mean, nobody's heard of the Jesus Movement for 30, 40 years. Like, right? It's past history. But what that movement did is it got me into church. And church changed my thinking, my feelings, my morals, my values. Gave me a wife, helped me know how to be a parent. Everything was because of church. Without it, I don't know where Grandpa Bubna would have ever ended up. Without it, I don't know where my dad, I don't know where I would have ever ended up. Church is God's plan to change us. That's why I said, I'm 100% convinced you need church. You probably need a lot more than you think you need. Because church is where God transforms us. And I've seen it in my own life, and I've seen it in so many of you, even you that are here looking at me now. Some of your faces, I've seen what God's done. Don't give up now. So what's the big answer to the question why? Love never fails. That's why I keep repeating that. In fact, we should put that on the wall here or something and eventually we'll do stuff like that. But like, why? Because God loves us. And, and to think that God gave me that when I was like 18 years old when I became a Christian, I put it in the back of my jacket, Jesus loves you. It's like, wow. That certainly wasn't because I'm so smart. God just like helped me understand it. I hope you understand that. Because it's highly essential for your life. Highly essential for your marriage. Highly essential for your kids. Highly essential for your future. You get outside love, it's like your life is worthless. You get inside love, you understand that this is why you get up in the morning, why you breathe air, why you eat food, why you're making a difference. Because God called you to do this. Even Jesus, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. Love your neighbor yourself. That kind of sums it all up. Well, that's why. How about what? What are we supposed to do about that? Point two. What's church supposed to be? We tried to sum it up in what's called our our vision statement. We say, we want people to hear God's call and follow it. God is always calling. I don't know if you've read much of the Old Testament, but every story is kind of the same in that God calls out to Noah. God calls out to Adam and Eve. God calls out to Abraham. God calls out to Joseph. God calls out to Moses. Daniel, David, go right through the Bible. And then you get to the New Testament, it kind of changes, you think. Well, not really. God's still calling. In fact, one of the most famous metaphors Jesus uses in John chapter 10, in fact, probably the best passage to demonstrate that our this wanting to hear God's call and following is extremely biblical, would be John chapter 10. What does Jesus say? He says, well, it's like, I'm the shepherd. And my sheep, my sheep hear my voice. John 10, 27. Really? Yeah, I'll be calling, calling, calling. But only my sheep hear my voice. And they follow me. He was like certain that if he could keep calling, people would start to hear. Sure enough, they did. And as you read through the rest of the New Testament, what's astounding to me is how often this word call or calling is used. Like when when different letters are written to different churches, they start them all this way. Turn with me, if you will, like to the book of um, Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, we read these words, starting with verse 4. 
He's, he's giving an introduction to the church at Rome, and he's, and he's talking about Christ, who was declared to be the Son of God, in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are what? Called. Called to belong to Christ. You're called to belong to Jesus Christ. Think about that. You see, I believe the only reason you're even here this morning is because somehow, some way, some relative, some thought, some persuasion, some prompting, you heard the call. There's, there's no other explanation in the Bible. He's calling. You can be guaranteed of that. This is one reason you should be bold to share your faith even. Because it's not you. You're just giving some details. You're just telling about Jesus dying on the cross. They're being called. I remember one time I scared a guy who was telling me different stuff in his life. And so I started telling him about Jesus. He says, you too? And I go, yeah. He didn't know I was a preacher. And I says, man, sounds to me like God's got your number, man. You're going down. Like, he says, yeah, it seems like that. All these circumstances, all these people. Yeah, that's God, right? He's calling you. Why would he do that? He loves you. He wants you back. You've been stolen away by sin. He wants you back. It's a beautiful story. It's the story of the gospel. Well, so Rome, in Romans here, Paul's just reminding these people, you guys were called to Jesus Christ. Look at the book of Galatians. Another letter in the New Testament reads like this. In Galatians chapter 1, same thing, same thing. First chapter, he says, these people were being deceived and being led astray by a cult. And he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. No, there it is again. In the grace of, uh, of, of, of Christ, and turning to a different gospel. Or look at this, another passage, the beginning of the book of 2 Thessalonians, same idea. To this end, we're always praying for you that our God uh, may, may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every, uh, every work of faith by his power. But notice the word calling. That's the whole reason I'm bringing it up. Another one, in the book of 2 Peter, he mentions it twice in chapter 1. He says, chapter 1 of 2 Peter reads, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Or down in verse 10, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will, be, you will never fail. Or in Jude, the last one before the book of Revelation, Jude 1.1. He starts his letter out by saying, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. You know, the funniest thing is, we humans are so, like, self-absorbed. We kind of think we picked Jesus. <laughs> and then the Bible keeps saying, no. It, he just kept calling, and you're one of his sheep. You heard him. He, you, you respond just because he, his prompting finally got through to your hardened heart. Wow. Thank God for his call, right? This is why I'm like so adamant that our church vision is we want people to just hear God's call. That's all it is. I mean, I'll teach the word. You'll share with your friends. Maybe we'll have something with them, a cup of coffee in the cafe, or we'll take them to a small group or men's men. But really, we're just trying to hear God's call. Whether you're a baby Christian, you're not a Christian yet, or you've been a Christian for 40, 50 years, doesn't matter. You're still just as much on the very edge of trying to hear God's call every moment of every day. 
and he does it because he loves you. Sometimes, you know, you put a sermon together and you're trying to think, okay, how do we make this real, you know, in your life? And something like this calling is like, you know, it's all different for each of us, but it's God doing it. How do you? I thought, let's use kind of an extreme case to illustrate it into our reality. For example, I was reading a story just this last week about King Henry III of Bavaria. Bavaria is like a part of uh, Germany. And, and King Henry III was fed up with being a king. All the responsibilities, all the pressures, people wanting to attack, trying to defend himself, and he just wanted to quit. You ever felt that way? Like, just too much. I can't take it, Lord. So you know what he did? This literally happened. He goes to the monastery, and he talks to the head priest, Prior Richard, and he says, Prior, sir, I want to join the monastery. In other words, he just wants to exit life and go join a monastery and just let everybody leave me alone. You ever felt like that? Oh, boy, I have. Just get me out of this mess, Lord. Just get me out. I can't take it anymore. So, Prior Richard doesn't know what to do with this. It's like 1100 A.D., you know. He turns back to the king and says, King, um, you know, if you join the monastery, you have to come under a vow of obedience. You have to do everything I tell you, and I don't think you're going to like that. You've always been a king. The king says, oh, I love it. I can't take it anymore. Let me join. Prior Richard has enough guts to turn to him and say, no. God called you, King, king Henry III, to be the king of Bavaria. You go back and you be the king and obey God faithfully till your dying day. And the king did it. Became one of the greatest kings of Bavaria. And after his death, I don't know if this is on his tombstone or something, but there was this famous statement about him that King Henry III obeyed God's calling on his life. Folks, you're sitting there today wondering, well, where am I called? What's my calling? It seems so abstract. I can tell you what your calling is, Dad. Be a father. I can tell you what your calling is, Mom. Be a mother. I can tell you what your calling is. Be a spouse. Be a loving person. I can tell you what your calling is, student study. I can tell you what your calling worker is, work. Be faithful to the boss, faithful to the company. Be a person, of, a follower of Jesus Christ. You know what? You and I are all just part of the family of God, and we're supposed to act like it. But that takes like a vow to the Lord. Lord, I just want to be what you called me to be and everything you want me to be. Huge difference happened in the king's life, and it's witnessed now throughout history. So, why do we have church? Well, love never fails. How are we supposed to do it? Hear God's call and follow it. Oh, he might call you some unusual thing or something different than others, but you're only going to hear it if you're listening anyway and obedient up to what he showed you so far. Then the last question. Okay, why and how? Or excuse me, why, what, now, how? How do I do this? In our church, we're trying to make it real clear, clear we call it our mission statement. We want people to connect to God, 
and then connect to God's people and connect to God's work, right? Whatever it is. I don't know if you've studied the New Testament much, but that kind of, those three things kind of sum up the whole New Testament. Any page you want to look at is either talking about how you connect with God or how you connect with other people, like in the body of Christ and sharing and using, or how to use your gifts, which is ministry and serving others. So we thought, well, let's put it in a simple three steps process. Connect to God, connect to people, connect to God's work, right? That's it. Sounds good, sounds easy, but sometimes we get stuck. Moving on in the process of what God wants us to be in church and the real maturity he's called us to. And again, we're almost like that cat. We make it all about ourselves instead of all about what God wanted us to be. Not long ago, well, a few weeks ago now, the elders of this church and I went down to Atlanta, Georgia, because we thought, okay, we got this new building, and let's think about what we're supposed to do next and how we're supposed to do it. So we went and visited two of the largest churches in the United States. One of them is North Point Church. Andy Stanley's the pastor of that church. And the other one was called Twelve Stone Church, which is also in Atlanta. And um, lots of people go to church in Atlanta. Anyway, so probably almost 50,000 people between the two of them, about 24,000, 25,000 people. You know, multi-campus things. They got, like at North Point, where they've got this screen that comes down the middle, and, and it looks if all the way down to the bottom of the stage. It looks like Andy Stanley's actually standing there talking to you when he's actually in another place, you know, 20 miles away. So we're sitting there talking to them. We met with several of the founding uh, elders of the church, different people that were on staff, went to different sites they have and all this cool stuff. At 12 Stone as well, and uh, uh, Suresh, Suresh Thomas, who we're hiring uh, as our missions pastor, he's, he goes 12 Stone, so he got us in there and we got to meet different people. And it was a lot of fun. Now you would think when you come home from that, you know, and I was a little apprehensive even thinking, oh, I'm going to come home. And after seeing these big churches and all they're doing, I'm going to think, we're a loser little church here in Medford, New Jersey, you know, a couple thousand people. I thought just the opposite. Honest to God, I did. I thought, holy smokes, this is a really great church, this Medford, New Jersey. I'm saying that to the people right now who run this thing. That's you, you know. You have made an incredibly fantastic place. God has called us together. All we did is hear God's call and follow it. All we're trying to do is connect people to God, each other, and to the the work he's called us to. And I started, it was like the first thought was, wow, we're a good church. In fact, tell you the truth, some of them down there were saying that about us, saying, wow, you guys are already doing this, you already do that. You guys are amazing. They were bragging on us. I'm like, wow, we must be doing something right. And of course, we got some new ideas and thoughts they have. Who knows what we could implement or what we could do from here. And one of the second things I, I came home with is, you know, we're not only a great church, but I wrote it down here in my thing. We're, we're, we're the family of God. One of the big emphasis I know, like at North Point, Andy Stanley was saying, guys, we're just the family of God. This is our house. God gave us a nice house. Let's keep it clean. Let's keep it looking good. Let's help it develop even further so this can be a home for many more people. You know, like our big banner used to say, we're making room for you. Well, we did. Now we got to go get them and bring them here because it's a tremendous opportunity for people. They need church like my dad needed church, like Lori's grandpa needed church. Can you imagine how many grandpas there are out there, how many grandmas, how many dads, moms, how many people, how many kids? They desperately need church. 
One of the things when we came home from that little jaunt down there to Atlanta and back is we saw really this old building we have over here. Now nobody goes to, you know, except some of the kids over there. It's like, we got to renovate that thing for children and youth. There's such a great opportunity. Do you realize the police department in Medford has come to us and begged us to help kids. They said, Marty, you don't understand, Pastor Marty, there's a heroin epidemic in this community. Kids are dying all the time, overdosing, and nobody seems to be helping us. But we see your church has helped some kids because we know these kids, and they got clean. Whoa, what a responsibility we have. That's just talking about high schoolers. Imagine middle schoolers. Imagine grade schoolers. All that we could do to reach people for Christ if we simply take on the responsibility, the calling God's given us, say, okay, Lord, we're in. We want to go. So one of the things is I look at, you know, where's our vision going right now up close? Up close, renovate that old building. It's not going to take much money. It's mostly elbow grease and creativity and developing a plan, and that's already in process, by the way. Already started doing things over there. Let's keep going. Or developing a cafe or developing the camp or developing across the street from the church, all kinds of things. I don't know where God will lead us. But one thing I'm certain is this. It is so cool when I think about our far-off vision, where could we go from here, like 10 years, 20 years from now. It took us 12 years to get this building up. 12 years ago, I remember 2005, having a big thing down in Gloucester County talking about what could we do, you know, vision, having a vision for this church, trying to buy land and where we were going to go. Twelve years, you, people in this church, gave to this. We didn't see much. Twelve years, dedicating ourselves, praying and asking God, and look what happened. Well, I, I think to myself, if that could happen in the last 12 years, holy smokes, think what could happen in the next 12 years. It's amazing where we could go. As far as reaching thousands more for Christ, planting other facilities, other churches like we've done in the past, all kinds of opportunities. But it all comes back to our faithfulness, doesn't it? Will we be the church? I told you I was just on vacation. We were out west. I thought, you know, for my quiet time, I want to do something different when I'm on vacation. So I decided... I'm going to read the book of Joshua. Haven't read that for a long time. So I started reading the book of Joshua. It's pretty outstanding. You know, Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho. That's the beginning. And then there's the Battle of Ai, and they lose, and, and there's sin in the camp. You remember the whole story, and all that has to happen. They get cleaned up, and then they just go on battle after battle after battle. Because they had crossed the Jordan. They had the Promised Land. If you remember, Moses got them through the wilderness, and they said, okay, Joshua, it's up to you. And Joshua's like a general. He, when I think of Joshua, I think of like General Eisenhower. You know Ike? That's what I think of. He's this commander. And he takes these troops and starts winning battle after battle after battle. Many of them, they're supposed to get creamed, they're outnumbered, and they keep winning and winning. Finally, by the end of the book, Joshua 24, I get to that and I start reading it, and I'm just astounded because it sounds like us. They, they had finally gotten to the promised land. We finally got in a new building. And it's as though, we, what are you going to do now, General? What are we supposed to do now, Josh? And he says, well, I'm going to start dividing up the land. You know, I'm going to give you guys this section, and you, you'll get that section, and you, you'll get this section. Start 12 tribes, so he's got to divide it all up. And he says, there's still some enemies out there. You'll, you'll have to fight them yourself. 
But he says, I know this. If God got us this far, don't you doubt him now. Can't you just hear this general saying that to them? Don't you, for God's sake, doubt him now. After all the miracles. And you know what he does? He goes back to the beginning. He goes back to even before Abraham said, Abraham left Ur, didn't know where he was going. And he starts talking about Abraham and Joseph and, and how God saved the, the, the children of Israel by delivering them into the Egyptian land when the big plague came and the, 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 the and then how, how God raised up Moses to deliver them when they got into slavery and they crossed the Red Sea and defeated the Egyptian army and then went into battle after battle. He recounts all of history. It's almost like if I stood up here and said, yep, started 36 years ago in my house. Just about 15 people. Grew up to about 50. Then we moved into a school. Some of you are still here from there. Moved into a school in Medford, went there, and then from the school in Medford, after several years of giving and trusting God, we built the first building and we were in debt past our eyeballs and then God brought more people and the thing grew and it developed. Then I got Epstein-Barr virus and then God brought other staff and then God built the next building and now God built this building. I could tell you victory after victory after victory and obstacle after obstacle after obstacle that was removed and we saw God do it. And I would say the same thing the General Joshua said, don't you dare not trust God now. <laughs> I mean, it's like the hard part's over. Look where we can go now. It's amazing. And so that's what he challenges everybody to do. So at the end of the book, you know what he does? He says, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pretend I'm a general now. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to make a new covenant. And they're probably thinking, new covenant? We already got an Abrahamic covenant. We got a Mosaic covenant. Why are we making a new covenant? And he could just hear the general bark right back at him. We're making a new covenant because we're in a new place. You need to recommit. That's what we're going to do. We're all going to divide up into our lands now. Let's make a covenant. Here's what he does. He picks this big boulder off the ground, sets it up, and says, may that stone be a witness against every one of these. He says, against you if you don't hold true to this covenant. I mean, it just sounds like a general, doesn't it? May that stone like fall on your head, destroy you, be a witness against you. It's like, holy smokes, he's not kidding. No, the guy's been through battles, man. It's like some of you, he's, he's seen God come through and nothing else did. They say, hey, I'm not going to doubt God. You going to doubt him? I'm not going to doubt him now. Let's go. It's almost like if I stood here, I don't know if you know, but this pulpit was made by the guys in our church, and this wood is black walnut. It came from a tree in my yard where this church started. It's a big black walnut. Isn't it pretty? What if I said to you, we're going to use this pulpit as a witness against you and me because we're going to make a covenant right here. Let's just say, Lord, I want to be your church. Why? Because you love me. What do I want to do? I just want people to hear God's call and follow. How am I going to do it? I'm going to help myself and other people connect to God, connect to God's people, probably in a small group, and then connect to God's work for me. Because, Lord, may this pulpit be a witness against me if I don't do this till the day I die. That's what this general challenged Israel to do, and they did it. Let me show you. Ready? Chapter 24 of Joshua, 
24 and 25. I can't read the whole story. Let me read two verses. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God will be, we will serve. His voice, we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And then the verse right after it talks about, he picks up a large stone and says, this is it. Well, here's our large stone. This pulpit, taken from the very place this church started. I'd like you, if you feel so called, and I hope you do, to stand up and pray a prayer of, to God just saying, Lord, can I be your church? I just want to be the church. I want us to be the church. Would you stand with me? Let, let's end the service like that. Bow your head and close your eyes and recommit yourself just like the children of Israel need to recommit themselves. There's times in your life when you need to wake up to what God's called you to. He's called everyone here to be his church. His sheep hear his voice and they follow him. So Lord, we bow our heads before you. We hear the word of the Lord and we want to obey. We're kind of like King Henry III saying, okay, Lord, might be tough. Might not even be something I want to do. But I know it's the right thing for me and the right thing for you and the right thing for my heritage, all those who come behind me. Lord, I thank God for Lori's grandpa and his commitment to be the church and my dad and his commitment to be the church and the people in this church that have been here faithfully for years, given and given and given. God bless them. And may, may their tribe increase and may they be fruitful. And if you're here just joining us at the beginning of your time or whatever it be, would you recommit and say, okay, Lord, I want to be the church. That's what this prayer is about. I want to be your church, Lord, simply hearing your call and following it. Your church in Medford. Yeah, they got these big churches in Atlanta, but we're just as serious up here in Medford just as much. You're called people. Help us be that the church of the living God, the family of God. And may we recommit ourselves. Right now, I'm recommitting myself to be your church, Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. There'll be prayer people down here for the prayer teams or go to the Welcome Center. Thank you.